God, I want to thank you for your grace and for mercy. I want to thank you that you have given us Jesus, God. And I pray that you would just, you would just focus our attention on our need for Jesus. And every morning that our prayer would be, every morning our cry would, would be, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. And God, I know we come in here with all kinds of junk in our lives and in our hearts and, and brokenness and ups and downs. And Lord, you know where each person is in their life right now. So God, I pray that you would speak to each person individually. Speak to us as a community of faith. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, let's get going. John chapter 11. Wes could put it up there and I will run blocker on the younger side of the crowd. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 11. That's the one. I've been in John for 40 something weeks. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These are the words of Jesus. And how do we know that they're the words of Jesus? Because if you have a real translation, they're written in red. Okay, and so this is Jesus addressing the people and he's directly inviting these people that that are burdened to come to him, that they would come to him and they would find a solution to the burdens that they have in life. That the brokenness that we all have, that the ups and downs that we all have, the invitation is to come to Jesus. Now, it's an interesting study, and we can't get into it, but Jesus is claiming to be divine wisdom. He is claiming that the yoke of wisdom is his yoke, his teaching, his interpretation. And he's inviting people who toil to come to him, that they might find rest. And his invitation, it is open-ended. There's no restrictions on it. It's for, it's for everyone. No matter if you believe or no matter if you don't believe. No matter if you think you've got it all together or you're just, you're just so broken that life hurts right now. It doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter what you're doing now. The invitation is for all people to come. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Now, the idea of being wary and being burdened, it's not really developed in this text. So, so we're going to just, we're going to believe that it, it's, what he's talking about, it's, it's a metaphor for just the tiredness and the brokenness of life. The pressures that life impose, the pressures that are imposed on us by, by our lives. Jobs, finances, family, relationships, friends, marriage, children, all of these things just, just sometimes they can be a burden. All of these things sometimes can make us weary. And I would even venture to say that, that it's from, uh, he's calling for the inward pressures that we all experience. You know, that little voice inside your head that says, you're not meeting up to the expectations that either you have put on yourself or God has put on you. And that voice that causes you to doubt. Jesus is calling us from the pressures of life, from the brokenness of life. And, and some of us, some of us suffer from them more than others. For some of us, we just, we just go through a season of intense weariness or just intense burdens. But it doesn't matter. Jesus 
His invitation is to come to him and find rest for those things, find rest from the human condition. Now, the word for rest in the Greek is, is not unlike our word for rest in, in, our, in our English language. It means to give someone the opportunity to recover. It means to give somebody the opportunity to regain their strength. Have you ever gotten to that point in life where you just can't go on anymore, where you just can't take one more phone call, where you just can't take one more conversation? I have a friend that would say, the tank is empty. You just can't get out of bed sometimes in the morning. Jesus is offering you the opportunity to find rest, to, to be recharged in that, to find and to know that you are loved and there is an answer for your burden and for your weariness. And he adds something that's very interesting to his invitation. He says that we are to take his yoke upon us, his yoke upon us, that we're, we're to accept the yoke of Jesus. Now, in the Old Testament, the idea of yoke, it wasn't so good. The Old Testament, a yoke was either social or political oppression. It was rules and it was standards and it was you have tos and you can't dos all lumped up onto the people and it was, it was oppressive. And the weight of those standards would, would just burden people and crush people. It's kind of like thinking of life as being unfair. And by the time Jesus' day and the people in Jesus' day, the people were under, the Jewish people were under Roman yoke, the Roman oppression, the Roman rules and standards for, for politics and for society. But also in Jesus' day, this whole idea of a yoke also kind of morphed into something a little bit different. See, the yoke was considered to be the demands of Torah on the people's lives. It was the, the law, the rules that you would follow in Torah, the yoke of Torah, the standards of Torah that you would try to follow in life. And most times, that was accepted as a very positive thing. You would want to live the way God has called you to live. And so the yoke of Torah wasn't necessarily a bad thing. And it was also the interpretation of Torah, where the rabbis, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, how they interpreted the law, how they said, this is the way it should be lived out every day. This is what this law looks like. This is how it should be lived out. That would be considered their yoke. How they interpreted the scriptures. How they said, you know what? When, when the law says this, this is what it looks like in everyday world. But as we know in Jesus' day, the religious leaders had taken the word of God, taken the yoke of Torah, and they just added to it and added to it and added to it until it was oppressive. Until their religion, until their faith, this gift that God has given them began to oppress the people. And they just couldn't live under it anymore. In fact, many people would walk away from following God because why bother if you're just going to fail all the time? And so Jesus is speaking into a, a very distinct cultural setting. The oppression of Rome on society and on politics and the oppression of the religious leaders on the people. Their yoke was a burden for the people to carry. And Jesus invites us to take on his yoke, his teaching, his interpretation, his standards, his way of life. Watch the way he lives it. Watch the way he does it. Because there's a gentleness and a humility about Jesus that is not found in everyone else. You know, many times we think of the yoke in literal terms. You get this picture of the, the two ox walking together, right? You get that big zucchini. It's called the yoke that kind of walks them together. But there was a human yoke also. 
There was a yoke that people would wear across their shoulders and it would help them carry heavy loads or pull a heavy load. And so it's not just for animals, but there was a human yoke that made labor easy. And so here is Jesus offering people who are tired, who are worn out, who are beaten up by life, people who have taken their shots from society, taken their shots from the man, taken their shots from some religious tradition or institution, for those that are just finding the burdens of life too heavy to carry, for those that are just tired and just just can't seem to go on anymore. Jesus is offering in this text a new way, a new standard to live by, a new yoke that you can find rest for your soul. It's something very, very different. And the yoke Jesus is offering is one of learning, and it's one of relationship. Dare I use the Christianese term, it's one of discipleship. Discipleship is a lifelong journey of, living, of learning to live in harmony with God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me get that just in case you're taking notes. No one takes notes, but that's okay. I'm going to say it again. Discipleship, you got, we got to know. Woo, you're, and she was going to sing this morning, but they told her not to. I, I, I'm sorry. I, she's a guest and I'm embarrassing her. Nice job, Dennis. Okay. Um, where was I? Right, discipleship is a lifelong journey of learning to live in harmony with God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. First, you enter into the relationship with Jesus. And then, just by natural progression, you begin to enter into relationships with other believers, other people who are following Jesus. And then those people that are following Jesus enter into the context of a community. And there's a whole community that is learning to live in harmony with God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we call that community church. And so here we are. But unlike the leaders of Jesus' day, and unlike many of the Christian leaders of today, this journey that Jesus calls us on is not a journey that will burden you. It's not a journey that is going to wear you out, but it's a journey where you can find rest, rest for your soul, rest for your life, rest for that deep part inside you that only you sometimes can share and know about and wrestle with. That's where the rest, that's the rest that Jesus wants to offer you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And we have to understand you know, this whole idea where he's talking about rest, it's not just, okay, you know what? You don't have to do nothing. Just chill out, relax. You don't have to worry about like walking with God or, you know, like pursuing your relationship. I mean, it's not all about just mountaintop experiences, staying in the hammock, drinking a little frilly girly drink with the umbrella in it. I mean, it's not all about that. As God begins to cut away the junk from our lives that he wants to get rid of, sometimes that's a painful process, but it's worthwhile. It's a worthwhile process. This isn't about just a, you know what, just do whatever you want. It's okay. Relationships, relationships take work. They take effort. They take, they take commitment. But in this journey, in this relationship with Jesus, I promise you, I promise you, you will find harmony with God and you will find rest for your soul. It's an invitation for something very new and very exciting. And it goes out to all humanity, 
Everyone. Race, creed, color, faith, it doesn't matter. Jesus is inviting everyone to come to him. And you can look past your list of do's and don'ts, and you can come and allow the creator of the universe to reveal to you your purpose in life and then be empowered to live that purpose and find rest for your soul. And so here we are, Oasis Church, individuals learning to live in harmony with God through relationship with Jesus Christ, who have come together as a community, learning to live in harmony with God through relationship with Jesus Christ. We're a church. Go figure. And as a church, we hold the hope of the world in our hands. We, we hold the hope of the world in the message that we have to share. But the clock is ticking. Listen, if you don't believe that the world needs to be reconciled back to God, if you don't believe that there's, there's any hope for the brokenness that is happening in the world around us, if you don't believe that there's, there's any sin in the world, if you believe that, you know what, you're all right, I'm all right, everybody else is all right, it doesn't matter what we believe. If you don't believe in hell, then you know what, as a church, we are just wasting our time. We are just, we are just dare, dare I say, we are sweating for nothing. But if you believe, as I do, that the world has been separated from a harmony with God because of sin, if you believe, as I do, that there is an opportunity for the broken people of this world to become whole again, and that the people who don't know a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, they can know, and they can know that peace, and they can know that rest, if you believe that people can come to fullness and joy and wholeness and healing, that they can know the shalom of God. If you believe that, if you believe that God desires not one person, not a single person to perish, but that all would possess eternal life, then church, we have a responsibility to this world. We have a responsibility, a calling to bring the message of Jesus to as many people as we can. To create opportunities for people to hear this good news. That they can find rest. That they can, they can be released from the burden. That the teachings and the ways of Jesus bring harmony with God. Time is of the essence. Complacency is dangerous. It breeds inaction in a church. An in-focused, inward-focused church is literally the death of the eternal death of countless numbers of people. Sounds really dramatic, doesn't it? It's because it is. It's no joke. The people are dying every day without knowing Jesus. And the Bible teaches where their souls will be for eternity. What happens in the church should be the single most important thing that is happening in the community. We are the conduits for the power and the life-giving power of Jesus Christ. The power is in the message of the cross. The power is in the message of the resurrection. And all that we do, everything that we do, should always be about that message. This is our why. 
This is, this is why we exist. This is why I have dedicated my life to be a follower of Jesus. And this is why I hope that you all have dedica- will dedicate your life to following Jesus. Not for your own personal freedom. Not for your own personal healing. Yes, that's part of it. Not just so God's grace and mercy can just resolve around you, but that you would go out and share that message, share that freedom, share that path to a new life with the people around the world, the people in your home, the people where you work, in your schools, with your friends. This is, this is the why we exist, to share that message. But the why the why is only half the equation. I mean, it's, it's good, but, but we can't just sit there in the why. We always, as a church, as individuals, we always have to be pursuing the how. How do we do it? How do we bring this message to the world? Every one of us, if you believe in the why we exist, then you have a responsibility to be part of the how. Turn to Matthew chapter 25. We'll put it up on the screen. Again, and these are the words of Jesus. This is a parable that he tells, or maybe a real story. Who knows? Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who who called to his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags. To another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Then he went on his journey. The man who received the five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the man with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And so what's going to happen in this story is the master's going to come back, and he's going to call to account. He's going to call these three servants up. And the first two, he's going to say, hey, how'd you guys do? And the first guy's going to say, you know what, you gave me five I earned you five, I doubled your money. And the second guy says, hey, you gave me two, I earned you two, I doubled your money. And the master's gonna say, well done, good and faithful servants. You have been, you have been, what's the word he uses? You have been trustworthy in a few things. Now, now I'm gonna give you more. But then the third guy, the guy who got one, decided he was gonna dig a hole and bury it. Let's look what the master says to him. Boing. The man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Next slide. Whoa. Take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For those who have will be given more, and they will have an abundance. As for those who do not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and the gnashing of teeth. There are three stories in this, in this chapter that talk about the kingdom of heaven. And here we could say that the master is God. It is represented. He represents God. And the three servants are us. And he gives them 
some of, he gives them his wealth according to their ability. Not any more, not any less, just what they can handle. And notice that he never tells them what to do with it. He never gives them instructions. He never gives them a plan or a model or a book for seven easy steps to make the master happy when he gets back. He just says, listen, I'm going out on a journey and I'm going to give you some stuff. I'm going to entrust some of my stuff to you. But there is and there are expectations. The three of them know that this isn't just a gift that they're just going to go out and spend on themselves. They know that this doesn't just resolve and revolve around them. In fact, two of the three, it says they get right to work. And they get right to work investing the wealth that the master had given them. And remember, there is inherent risk involved here. So much so that, that the third guy didn't think it was worth the risk. He was running scared. He decided he was going to play it safe. He was going to dig a hole, and he was going to bury that money. Maybe, maybe he just didn't have time to invest the wealth that the master had given him. You know, I mean, you know, he's got this whole job thing as a servant. I mean, that's got to take up some time. He's got the wife. He's got the kids. The house always has got to get fixed. There's always something broken on the house. He's got to change the oil in the donkey. The camel needs new shoes. You know, and every once in a while, he likes to go out fishing, but the boat has got to be repaired Maybe he just didn't have time. And so he decided that he didn't have the time to invest in this. And he was just going to play it safe. Because, I mean, really, I mean, playing it safe, it's, well, it's, it's, it's safe. Or maybe, maybe he decided, you know, what's in this for me? I mean, I'm, I'm a servant. I mean, what's, what's, what's the outcome going to be for me? You know what? I'm going to have to sacrifice t- my time. And who knows what else that I'm going to have to give up for this. I just don't have time for anything. I mean, I'm going to have to work harder and work more. Who does this guy think he is? And he decides that it's just not worth the effort because in the end, he's really not going to get anything at all. So whatever his reason, he took the bag and he buried it. And remember what the master said to him, you wicked, lazy servants. You should have done something with it. Take this guy, take the bag from him, throw him out into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so you know, I've never really been thrown, I've been thrown out of places, but never into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I'm thinking that can't be a good thing. And this is where this servant, this lazy, wicked servant ends up in the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Of teeth. Playing it safe. Living cautiously. Being selfish. Accomplishes nothing. The bottom line of this story, I believe, is God puts expectations on his people. And those expectations are not to be shrugged off. Those expectations are not to be taken lightly. Those expectations are not even to be kept safe. So, what's that mean for us? Oasis Church, August 1st, 2010, our two-year anniversary. Here's what I want to tell you guys. The master has entrusted and shared his wealth with us in so many different 
ways. He has given us the gift, the wealth of time. He's created time for us. He doesn't need time. He's given it to us, this precious, valuable gift. You know, you can't buy, none of you can buy more time. And in fact, once you've spent your time, you can never get it back. There's no refund on your time. It's this valuable gift that God has given each one of us. And so how are you spending it? How are you doing with it? Are you keeping it safe, kind of on the shelf for a rainy day? Are you spending it selfishly on yourself? God has given us, he has given us the gift and the wealth of, of gifts and talents. Each one of you here has been given abilities. We are created in the image of God and God has bestowed upon you passions and talents and abilities. Every one of you. How are you doing with them? Are you keeping them safe for, you know, that rainy day, just in case you might need to use it? Are they just resolving and revolving around you? Are you selfish with your time? Are you selfish with your talents? Now, as I was reflecting over these last two years, and, and I've been doing it for quite a while now, uh, for many months, I... I am encouraged to see that how some people, how some people have sacrificed their time, how some people have sacrificed their gifts and talents for the good of the kingdom of God and for the good of the people that are outside of these walls. And that encourages my heart to know that that there's people who who get it. And and I'm always encouraged by the people who are sacrificing their time and their passions and their talents to serve in the church because we need people to serve in the church. For the people who who teach our kids downstairs every week, for the nursery workers, for uh, the the, the guys who do sound and tech, the guys that set up and break down, for, for the people who do our finances, for the elders, for the people who preach in my absence, for the small group leaders who have taught I'm encouraged by your desire and your unselfishness to serve the kingdom of God by serving the people at our church. But here's what I'm going to challenge you all with. It's a very small percentage of you that actually serve. There's a small percentage of you that serve outside and live this idea of living on mission for the kingdom of God. And there's a small percentage of you that that serve inside. We have been called to create a community that is building the kingdom of God for the sole reason of the why, why we exist, that we would bring people into relationship with Jesus Christ, that they would know his rest, they would know his peace, and ultimately know that they would have eternal life. We are called to create an atmosphere that opens the doors for people to come into relationship with Christ and for people to come into relationship with the community of faith that is on the journey to live in harmony with God through a relationship with Jesus. If you believe in the why, you have to. You have to engage the how. And if you're here this morning there's a good, good chance I'm going to say that you believe church, community, 
is important. And so, this is what I want to tell to you. This is what I say to you. Church, it's time that we get our house in order. It's time that we ready our house so that we can better serve outside of these walls. It's time that we ready our house so that we can bring the life-giving, life-saving message of Jesus Christ to as many people as we can so we can take our how and engage the why. Now, let's, let's talk about what I mean by that, getting our house in order. Let me give you a couple examples. The nursery downstairs. We don't get too many kids here, too many visitors but we do have a need for, for a nursery to watch our young kids. And there's about four or five women that have signed up to do that on a rotating scale. And sometimes, because some of those women are part of the children's church ministry, sometimes they don't, they're not up here um, in church for, for a few weeks in a row because they're serving. What if we had a dozen people that would sign up and be on a rotating schedule? That means that one person would have to do it. What's that? Every three months. And sometimes you get a bye week because there are no kids. What if we had 20 people? <gasps> Dare I say 26 people? You would do it twice a year. Would you consider others before yourself? Would you honor others before yourself? The message of the cross, the power of the cross, is in self-sacrifice. And instead of putting the burden on just four or five women, man, people got to step up. People have to answer the call. We need to get our house in order. Children are important. The people who teach children's church, they are important. They are molding and sculpting our young people. Kids are important to God. Read your Bible. It's in there. How much more should we then invest in our kids and invest in a children's ministry that, that is, is not overtaxing and overworking just a few people? We're going to be starting some other ministries to get our house in order. So stay tuned for opportunities to serve. But here's what we're not going to do. We have done away with sign-up sheets. There'll be no more sign-up sheets. When I was at Acts 4 last week, I was, I was so encouraged by the amount of people from our church that were there and that were serving. When they, when they called me a few weeks or a couple months ago, in fact, Will and I were in dialogue. I was like, Will, no. We, we, they asked me, you know, would Oasis consider taking over that spearheading? And I was like, no, absolutely not. Because we have tried to get you to sign up before, and we get two or three people. And it takes a lot more people. Those that you were there, man, it is constant. It is all the time. Over 370, 380 people were, were, um, came through that line to receive clothes and prayer and to be ministered to. And I said, no way, man, we, we can't swing that. But John Russo happened on this novel idea. Instead of putting a sign-up sheet in the back, what he did, check this out, ready? He asked people, like, like face-to-face, like who knew? Who knew that you would actually respond to a personal invitation to serve in the kingdom of God? And so we're not going to sign up anymore. You're going to be asked. And if you say no, you're going to have to say no to a person and not just walk back a sign-up table, walk past the sign-up table in the back but you answered that call. And let me tell you, man, I was like, wow. I, I felt a little bit 
bad that I, that I didn't have faith in the church that, that would actually do it. And then I got over that really quick and I just watched the people that were there minister and serve with smiles on their faces. And, and as a pastor, man, that just like, oh, that brings joy to my heart. And so we're going to have opportunities are outside the walls. Listen, Amy should not be looking and scrounging for people for the service projects, for our outside the wall events. She should be scrounging for service projects because we have way too many people. But we're not going to give you a chance to sign up. We're going to ask you face to face. I'm going to invite you to serve in the kingdom of God. We have been asking for months for people to just come alongside and help out making coffee once in a while. We sign up to bring a little snack. I mean, most of you eat it. But very few people, they, they, don't, they don't bring it. Will you honor others more than you honor yourself? Will you take the message of the cross, which is self-sacrifice in time and gifts and talents, and would you give to the kingdom of God? Don't be that third servant. Don't play it safe. Don't play it selfish. If you believe in the why we exist, if you believe we are here to bring the message of Jesus Christ to the world, then you have a responsibility to engage in the how. And part of our how right now is to get our house in order. Let me talk to you about uh, prayer. I believe, and the leaders believe, and you all can argue with me, but you'd be wrong, that, that prayer is... Prayer is important. It's the foundation of everything we do. In fact, we take time during our services to pray. If we see a need or hear of a need, we stop and we pray. We have prayed for people up here. We have prayed for people that have sat there. We have laid hands on people. We have sought God through prayer as a community. It is the foundation of everything that we do. Now, we have a once a month time that we gather as a church to pray. Now, we've had it on Sunday at 5 o'clock. That didn't work so good. We had it on Sunday at 7 o'clock. That didn't work so good either. So we have, now we have it on Wednesday at 7 o'clock. And we've had it for well over a year, once a month. And we pray for an hour. We gather to pray for our church. And on average, we get about seven or eight people. Three of those are myself, Don, and John. And so we have about four or five of you that come out to pray for our church. And I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, that is shameful. Because that a church that will pray, nothing will stop that church. The power of the church is in its seeking of God, and the authority of God will rest upon that church when they seek him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it is shameful that we cannot get more than four or five people to come out once a month for an hour. Okay, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. You got a half hour here, you got a half hour home. Two hours. I will guarantee you, you spend more time in front of the TV in a month than you do coming here to pray. Now, that's all I'm going to say about that. It's time, church, that we get our house in order. And that brings me to my last point. If we believe in the why, if you believe that we exist to bring the message of Jesus Christ out to the world, then you have to engage the how. And I have wrestled and I have prayed and I have prayed and I have wrestled. And I could confidently stand before you this morning and tell you that it's time that we find a new place to meet. 
that Grange has been an incredible blessing to us these past few years. When we needed a slate to ha- a, ha- a door to hang our slate on, it was here. Financially, it fit right into our budget. But we have outgrown its usefulness in many, many different ways. First, look around. We're not 80% full. We're 100% full right now. And there's the 80% rule that says a room is full at 80%. We we have plateaued in our effectiveness to give guests a comfortable place to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And it's time that we find a new home. Now, I continually wrestle with this whole idea of of numbers and church growth. And I, I promise you, I promise you, we will never focus on that. We will never land on that. But there is solid research and there is solid evidence that the most effective way, not the only way, but the most effective way to bring people into a thriving relationship with Jesus Christ is to bring them into a community of faith. And the community of faith is the church. The church is an important part of the spiritual growth of people. You know how I know? Because you are all here, and most of you are here every week. So you must consider this experience only partly, but this experience an important part of your your spiritual growth. And I believe that we have a uniqueness about us. And I'm just not saying that. I know probably every pastor likes to say that, but we are unique I mean, let me just, how many pastors, you know, have a dozen tattoos? Ta-da. But that's just not where we're unique. We have, we have a message. The way, we, the way we bring the message of Jesus Christ, it's biblically conservative and it's culturally liberal. When at a time when there's churches that are just on both extremes, ultra-conservative and ultra-liberal, we, we land with biblical conservatism and cultural liberalism. Let, let, me give you, let me give you an explanation. And this is nothing new. It's my belief that it's okay to go to a bar or a pub and have a cold beer with someone. In fact, I think if we had more Christians out in the world that would sit in a bar and, 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 and sit down alongside people, oh man, there'd be ministries exploding. But that's just me. Anyway, so I don't believe that that goes against the Bible or goes against what God would say. I don't believe that, that if you have a cold beer or a glass of wine or even even a little sniffer of cognac, that that goes against the Bible or God. I don't believe it. But drunkenness leads to debauchery. That's what the Bible says. Alcoholism is is you being in bondage to something, and that goes against the harmony of God. You see, biblical conservative and culturally liberal if you want to go to the casino one night and have a night out with friends or your spouse, fine, go. There's nothing that goes against God with that. But if you're addicted to gambling and you are spending your money and it is hurting your family, you're in sin. Culturally liberal, biblically conservative. Sex before marriage is wrong, no matter what, under all circumstances. And you can argue with me to your blue in the faith. And again, you have your opinion to be, you have your opportunity to be wrong, but you're wrong. But you know what? If you want to date people, it's not like, you know, courting, oh, that's the one, and I'm going to court that person until we get married because that's, 
I don't believe in courting. I think courting is dumb. I think it's okay to date unless you're my daughter. And then it's not okay to date, okay? And if any of you want to date my daughter, which you're all old, so that would be creepy to begin with. But anyway, but, but just so you know, and just so, you know, if, any, if you hear anybody, anybody who wants to date her is a punk, and I don't like them to begin with, okay? So, so but, but it's okay to date as long as you do it the way God has called you to do it, in purity, in biblical purity. Culturally liberal, biblically conservative. I have never shied away from teaching the hard truths of Scripture. We go line by line, I really can't. And what's there, I bring you to the best of my ability. This is what makes us unique. We are a place where it's okay not to be okay. You don't have to fake it being here. If, if life sucks for you, then it's okay to say life sucks. And you're not going to be judged because, you know, it all gets that way. It, 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 for all of us, it has gotten that way. We teach and we try to demonstrate and we try to live in freedom in grace while continually pressing in to learn how to live in harmony with God through relationship with Jesus Christ. And we have an obligation to share that freedom with as many people as we can. We have to, I want to give people the opportunity to join us as we wrestle with the truths of Jesus Christ, as we wrestle with faith, and as we wrestle with life, to give them freedom, to give them rest, and to give them the path to that harmony. And so it's time that we found a new church home. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, why don't we just like go to two services? Well, first of all, that just divides a community really quick. And second of all, it's not just about the 80% rule. It's about having a, a safe place for ministry. It's about having a safe place for church. It's about having a safe place for our kids that we consider them important and having a safe place for the kids of guests and people looking for a church home. The downstairs of this building is not safe. It's not healthy. There's mold growing all over the walls. It's constantly damp. It has a, a dehumidifier that actually drains into a muddy hole in the ground in the closet downstairs. I have a picture of a mushroom growing out of the wall. It's going in my office one day, this is where we started from, our humble beginnings. But there's black mold growing on the walls. Last month when we had our prayer time, uh, we, were, we had to meet downstairs because it was like 987 degrees up here. And so we went downstairs and after 10 minutes, somebody had to leave because the mold just got to them so much, their allergies just kicked up. We can't afford to lose any more people on prayer night. Believe me, we don't start out with a lot to begin with. And then another person just suffered through for the hour. It's not healthy downstairs. We need a place where visitors can have a sense of comfort. And it's our culture. And we can fight against it all we want. We can pl complain about it all we want. We can say it's not about the church building all we want. But, in, but the first impression of someone walking into their surroundings is important. And we need to supply a place that's somewhat comfortable and that puts people at ease. I'm not talking about buying the Taj Mahal or building the Oasis Crystal Cathedral, which would be really cool. But anyway, um, 
I remember as a kid, I remember my parents, when Robert Schuller was building his crystal cathedral, we sent in a hundred bucks and somewhere in that crystal cathedral is a star with my name on it. That's right. I'm destined to be a pastor. But anyway, so, so, but we're not talking about, we're not talking about building something like that. I'm talking about a place where we're non-believers and we're new believers and maturing believers alike can have a sense of, of being somewhat comfortable in their surroundings and not worrying about their kids crawling downstairs, crawling around on the, on the, the floor downstairs or, you know, tasting the mold that's on the, on the walls, but a clean place, maybe, you know, a place that they're not sitting here thinking, are them t- ceiling tiles going to fall off? Or, you know, they're just trying to figure out what, what is that smell? I mean, I mean we, we need a place where, where people are somewhat comfortable where they're not sitting on chairs that some of them are falling apart and the sweat doesn't have to drip down their back. The, the conditions that we have allowed to take place in our church, most of us would never allow to take place in our own homes. How much more should we look to, to in, invite and give people that are looking for a journey with Christ a, a better place, a more comfortable place? And so church, I believe it's time that we find a new home. I'm talking about a place where people want to come and be part of. I'm talking about a place that encourages ministry and facilitates ministry. A place where where we can have youth group and Bible studies and meetings. A place that I can actually have an office in. You don't know how many people and couples that I have have to have that I've turned away from spiritual direction and counsel because we just don't have a place where I can consistently meet with them. And as a pastor, man, that's... That's my heart right there when people come. Some conversations cannot be had in a coffee shop or a restaurant. I'm talking about a place where we can open the doors to to community groups, groups like NA and AA, and say, you know what? We value, we value what you do. We value the healing that you offer people. And we want to come alongside you. And if you need a place to, to meet every you need a place to meet, then come meet in our church. And that we can, we can come alongside the community in that way. And who knows what other ways, what other doors God can open up in that. I have a curriculum for just this solid, biblically-based recovery program, but we have no place to facilitate it and no one to facilitate it. If you believe in the why, then the next step in our how is a new church home. Now, Let's talk about the big elephant in the room. Let's talk about money. Nobody likes to talk about money. I like to talk about money, especially when I have some, but I never have some, so I guess I never like to talk about money. But let's not, let's not get on that anyway. So, so we, we very rarely talk about finances here. Uh, I think we've done it only once before, and it was just kind of, a, kind of a mention. But we need to talk about it. I cannot and I will not shy away from the difficult texts and the difficult ideas in, scriptures, in the Scriptures. Our church is a generous church. Our church for the past two years has been self-supporting. In fact, um, we were being supported by a church for about two months, and I felt guilty taking their money because we didn't need it. And I said, you know what? We're just not going to take any more money from you because we're pretty much self-supporting. And the pastor looked at me and said, I've never had a church tell me they didn't need money. I'm like, well, ta-da. So we are a generous church. God has blessed us in that realm. 
We have had our budget for two years and we have made budget. We give away 10% of every dollar that comes through this door into our general budget. We give 5% to Honduras and 5% to Acts 4 because we believe in the principle of giving and the the principle of tithing. If I'm asking you to give money to this church, then this church better be generous and give money out to the kingdom of God. We have taken collections and we have helped numbers of people pay their mortgage, pay their bills, pay uh, credit cards, whatever. We We have answered the call through your generosity. But we still have to talk about money in order to get this to find a new home. We have to raise our budget about $1,200 a week in order to have enough money to move into a place that isn't this size, that's a little bigger, that we can facilitate some growth, that we can have a place for our children, that we can have a place that we can meet, that we have a safe place for children's church and a safe place for the nursery. And so I want to talk about the principle of tithing. Now, in the Old Testament, tithing is giving to God 10%, the first fruit, you know, your first 10%. Um, In the New Testament, I think it's a little bit different. I believe God calls us to sacrificial giving. That that as you give, even in your time and in your gifts and talents, but as you give, you can't do certain things because you're giving to the kingdom of God. And I believe it's the same way with our finances. Your giving to the kingdom of God should stop you from doing some of the things you really just want to do. I believe that's the biblical principle. And so I want to talk to those people who who are tithers, who give that way, who give to the kingdom of God sacrificially. I want to say this to you. Thank you. Thank you. It's because of your generosity that we have been able to do the things that we do. Thank you. And I want to talk to the people who, who when they're here, that they, they give. I want to say thank you. Because, because of you, we've been able to do the things that we've wanted to do. But for those people who pay to go to church, I want to challenge you. And what I mean by pay to go to church, when you're here, say you give $50. And the next week you're here and you give $50. And, and, your, and your, um, your rhythm is to give $50 when you come to church. But then you miss a week because you have I don't know, a wedding or whatever. And then you miss another week because, well, you, know, you just wanted to sleep in. You didn't feel like going to church today. It was too hot or too cold. Um, and then the next week you come, the third week, and you give your $50. Don't pay to come to church. I'm asking you to, to begin to engage the discipline of tithing, of giving generously or giving sacrificially, whether you're here or not. That would mean if you give $50 every time you're here, then whether you're here or not, you would consider giving $200 a month. It's not just your your pain to go to church or it's not like God doesn't bless you when you don't go to church. So wouldn't you want to bless back to the kingdom of God? And now let me talk to those, those of you who give nothing. That your finances resolve and revolve around you. And you have chosen to give nothing and haven't sown in financially to what we are trying to accomplish here at Oasis. You have not sown into our why. If you have put your finances before God and made that number one in your life and God number two, then you are in sin. 
And the Romans says this, that if you worship the created and not the creator, God will turn you over to your lusts. I am asking you to repent from that and that you would ask God for, for first for forgiveness and then ask him how it is that you can sow into financially the, the how for the purpose of the why. I am not looking to grow Oasis as a church. I am looking to expand the kingdom of God. And the next step in our how is church. We need to find a new church home. And I have wrestled and I have prayed and I have prayed and I have wrestled and I am confident in that. I believe this, this financial piece so much that as Don and John began to discuss, it's our two-year anniversary, and they began to discuss a possible increase in my salary, I said, let's wait. Because our priority is not me getting more money. Our priority is finding a new home so that we can introduce people to relationship with Jesus, that we can introduce people to the relationship of a community of faith that is learning to live in harmony with God. It's, it's our why, and I'm asking you to engage in the how. And so we're going to wait, and over the next few months, we're going to watch as the giving gets, gets more. And when we get to that, to that extra $1,200 a week, I know a really good real estate agent. <laughs> and we're going to ask her to start looking around for a place that we can call home for the sake and the glory of God's kingdom. Church, if you believe in the how, I'm sorry, if you believe in the why and you believe that time is, is of the essence, then join me in engaging this new chapter of our how. We need to get our house in order. Please don't become complacent. Complacency breeds indifference and indifference equates into countless lives lost for eternity. And that's, that's no joke. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for your grace, for your mercy, and for your gift of Jesus. And so, Lord, as we, as we move from um, this morning, God, I pray that you just kick open the doors for the next chapter of your church, that we would engage the world in, in new ways, in fresh ways, that we can bring the message of Jesus Christ to more and more people, God. I want to thank you for this group, Lord, and I pray your blessing upon them. Thank you for their hearts that serve. Thank you for their hearts that give. Now, God, I pray that you, as you, as they experience your blessing more, God, I pray that they would have the pent-up desire to bless even more. Not for the sake of church, but for the glory of your name. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.